Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Who knew that the kryptonite for the best team in college baseball was in-state opponents on a Tuesday night. Inexplicably, the LSU Tigers lose their second straight midweek contest, this time to the Colonels of Nichols State. Sorry, don't say Nichols State anymore. You have to say Nichols. Nichols Colonels out of the Southland Conference. Hashtag Southland Strong. I don't know what you should make of that. LSU fans always go back and forth. Some don't think midweek games matter. Others get upset when they lose midweek games. I've always been somewhat indifferent. I think it means more to the other team. But I was not expecting a loss by the LSU baseball team at home to the Nichols Colonels. Did not have that on my bingo card yesterday. But yet, here we are. It happened. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm the big, bald, and beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Of course, I'm joined inside the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette by the producer extraordinaire, Mr. Dawson Iserlow. we got a great show lined up for you today. Three guests on tap. More hopeful that all three will be on. Not always the case. Ron Higgins, the mad dog from Tiger Details, will join us to talk all things LSU, spring football, and baseball. Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, will join us to talk Vermilion and White. And then TJ Jones from the State of the Saints podcast will help us preview the NFL draft for the New Orleans Saints. That's who we got lined up today. We'll also talk NBA playoffs, McNeese baseball, UL baseball, and of course those Houston Astros. We'll do it all in the next three hours. Of course, we'll take your phone calls as well. Game hotline, as you know, is open. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. LSU, at home, after... Let's be honest, just simply mowing down and murdering every midweek opponent they had this year. They lost last week to the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. And you're like, okay, Cajuns needed it. They were desperate. LSU had an off night. And the Raging Cajuns took advantage. LSU gets back to work after getting their first series sweep of the season, going in to Swayze Field there in Oxford over the weekend and taking all three games from Ole Miss, the defending national champs. And they come back home and lose 
six to five to a team that they mercy ruled earlier in the season by the score of 12 to two just a few weeks earlier at Alex Box Stadium on a Tuesday. They crushed their faces and said, go back to Thibodeau. Last night, that's not how that went down. 6-5 loss to Nichols as they now gear up for a three-game set against Alabama this weekend also at Alex Box Stadium. Midweek games are weird. They always have been. Especially for top flight programs like LSU. You're nationally ranked. You're a top five team. One of the best teams in the country. Your approach to the midweek game is damned if you do, damned if you don't. Right? Everyone expects you to win the game. So when you lose, people get upset. Well, why did you lose to Nichols? But on the same hand, it's a Tuesday game against a team from the Southland Conference. You have been playing week after week top 15 ranked opponents in SEC play. So getting a win against South Carolina or beating Tennessee is far more important than your midweek contest against Northwestern State Nichols, Southeastern Louisiana, whoever it may be. That's just the reality of the situation. And you thought LSU was going to win this game. Nichols goes up, a run in the second. It's a pitcher's duel for the first four innings. Then Nichols adds two more in the fifth, and you're like, oh, they're up 3 nothing." But then the Tigers come roaring right back. Bottom of the six. They score four runs. And you're like, here you go. In just one inning, they take the lead. But then credit Nichols for keep fighting, plating a run in the eighth and two more in the ninth. LSU scored a run in the bottom of the ninth, but it wasn't enough. As they lose six to five. Only... Had seven hits in this ball game. Nichols had 10. And LSU had an error. And can we give it up to the Nichols shortstop? I'm not for sure how to pronounce the young man's last name. I know his first name's Parker. D'Lo, you're pretty good at these kind of things. How would you pronounce the Nichols shortstop's last name? Could do. Could do. Thank you. Uh, unassisted double play. Ooh. And Incredible it was filthy. Play. Yeah. It was filthy. And a base running error as well. Shouldn't have been a double play. Correct. But still an incredible play. And I mean, and you understand the runners, you know, because if that ball drops, now he's scoring to win the game. Whereas if he holds up, you know, you might, you're just going to be tied. But risk reward, you probably need to hold up because you know if it falls, the game's tied anyway. And you, you know, you've done what you had to do to survive. Correct. He's, you know, on third base when the ball gets caught. So therefore, and it's funny, this scrambling, and I was actually thinking to myself, you know, if I'm the runner who was at third base to start that play, when he sees, and so essentially what, what happened is that runner saw that he, the pinch runner, uh, it was actually Jack Merrifield who's pinch running, 
and he former LSUE Bengal absolutely on the Cajun Prairie. So he saw that he was you know basically caught double play. So he just kind of they just they stood there and watched Nichols run to the bag. I thought he should have taken off for the plate, seeing if they could maybe force an error because Nichols. There was this weird moment where they made the incredible catch. And everybody got up and looked around and was like, wait a minute. Because, you know, the, the shortstop and second baseman were both dead sprinting for the ball. Correct. So I actually thought maybe take off there. I don't know if it would change anything. You know, if, if the nickel shortstop sees the guy way off the back, it's not going to matter. But maybe force a throw, you know, and maybe they didn't realize they didn't have to throw it type of thing. You, you thought one below so because that's who had the hit. The Tigers designated hitter who seems like he's been there for eight years. He hit that flare into center field. You thought it was going to drop. And Jack Merrifield really thought it was going to drop. <laughs> and that looked like it was going to be the game-winning hit, but the nickel shortstop makes the great catch. And you're right. There was that moment where they just went in a pause, and then he goes and races the second pace to double off the runner, Merrifield, to end the inning. Nichols, by the way, we keep talking about McNeese being the best team in the Southland Conference. The team that sits atop the Southland Conference standings is actually the Nichols Colonels, who also beat McNeese in a series earlier this year. They're 23 and 16 now on the season. LSU drops to 32 and 8. Bryce Collins was charged with the loss as he pitched the eighth and ninth innings and allowed two runs, one earned on two hits with two walks and two strikeouts. The bullpen isn't great for LSU. We saw it against UL. We've seen it against SEC conference opponents. And we, and we keep having the same discussion, Dawson. Their bats are so good that it hasn't really mattered for the most part through 40 games. They're the number one ranked team in the country. They're 32-8. and eight. They have yet to lose a conference series. They've found a way to power through the fact that they don't have great pitching on the back end. And look, this isn't a knock on the Colonels, so please don't take this the wrong way. All you Nichols fans out there listening right now. Probably on the free new game mobile app, which you can go download right now for your Android or Apple devices. But you should be able to come in and have one of your relief pitchers not give up two runs in two innings against the Nichols Colonels if you're the number one ranked team in the country. Like, that's going to be the Achilles heel for the Tigers. I know it's a midweek game, and many of you are going to be like, RP3, it doesn't matter. Those don't matter. It doesn't matter. It's not a big deal. And let's say I buy into that argument. Let's say I agree with you that a midweek contest does not matter for the LSU Tigers. But the things that you're seeing in the midweek contest the last two weeks, you're also seeing in games against SEC competition. That is the, the concern that I've had throughout the season for LSU is when they have to close the door on a team, what's going to happen when they have to face a great team that's just as good as them? And we've seen them drop games in SEC play. And we've seen them give up runs late and still win the games because their lineup is just absolutely stupid filthy. Absolutely. But 
it is a midweek game. And credit Nichols for getting a big win for them. I think the last time they beat a number one ranked team, it's been a long time, it was probably against LSU as well. And now they get ready for an improved Alabama team. I still like them to win that series. I still like them to win every series that's left on the schedule. I still like them to make a run at Hoover at the SEC tournament. I still like them to win a regional. I still like them to win a super regional. I still like them to go to Omaha. But the expectation for the LSU baseball team is national championship. The bullpen is the thing that I go, mm. like, you know, if you're in a tight game and it's 7 6, and you, obviously your bats have scored you six runs, look, if you're in college baseball and you score five runs, you should probably win the game. D'Lo shakes his head. He goes, I don't know. Well, uh, no, I, said something. I, I, I have higher expectations. If you score five runs, you should probably win a baseball game. That's just me. I think that's like right around where, I don't know. I'd say like six or seven, you feel a lot better. But yeah, no, I mean. Six I, or seven. We have to get that close to double digits to feel that comfortable. Well, it depends. Like, again, if it's a Friday night, well, no. You know what I mean? But if it's a Sunday and you threw the bullpen, that, but it's okay. I'm not, I wasn't arguing with the point. I was just kind of <laughs> thinking about it and. You got angry with the mic earlier. I'm just making sure you're okay, bud. It's, it just doesn't stay where, but it's okay. <laughs> no, um, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. No, yeah. Look, the bigger cause for concern is not the result. Like, no. And that's the thing. Some years, too, it matters when, you know, there's times where, you know, any of these top teams, there's times where UL or LSU is fighting for a regional host site or something like that where that loss would have hurt. Obviously, LSU's pretty much cemented into the one line. I mean, it, barring an Absolutely. absolute collapse, they're going to be a, a host team and a, and a national seed, not just a host seed. So Now, maybe losing a midweek game like this will help them not be the number one overall seed. That's possible. Wake Forest, you know, because at the same time, Wake Forest, who's you, you know been number two, number three in the polls, they beat Coast. They 10-run ruled number 10 Coastal last night. So, uh, Wake Forest is kind of making a bid to be that number one overall seed. And, 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 and if you're a case as well, if you're Jay Johnson and the LSU Tigers and you're the LSU Tiger fan base, you say go right ahead and take it. Yeah, well, it's been a curse. In recent yes, years, it's, it's been but, the kiss um, of death. The only thing I would say that that can be maybe cause for optimism for LSU fans is your your team is clearly playing in a lull a compared to where they were, and you're not doing it at the very end of the season. So you've got time to kind of figure figure these things out and get out of it before you head into what is the biggest portion of your year, of course, which is going to be SEC tournament regional play. Um, so that's what you're looking to see. you know. And I think, look, you're probably going to still win series along the way, but you want to see a little bit of marginal improvement. And again, like they, they dominated every midweek. It was kind of a – like LSU's always struggled in midweek games at times. They dominated the first like eight midweek games they played this year. Uh, and now they've had they, their, their usual struggles. It just happened later than usual. And they were mercy ruling everyone. Right. It right? wasn't close. It, it was a quick. It was a quick night. The other thing that that I worry just a little bit. Once again, I still feel this team is going to Omaha. So that last night's result doesn't change my perception of how great this team can be. I worry about the injuries because we find out yesterday that as as we thought was going to happen, Chase Shores is out for the season. He makes the announcement official on social media. Garrett Edwards is still to be determined. We don't know if he's coming back or when he's coming back. Paxton Kling is progressing. 
He's taking batting practice. He's still dealing with a hamstring injury. Brady Neal is doing non-baseball workouts for that undisclosed back injury. Tommy White is day-to-day with an undisclosed leg injury. Also didn't have Trey Morgan last night as well. Now, did Trey just sit out for, was that for injury purposes, or did they just, Jay Johnson just give him the night off? I believe it was injury purposes. So that's the thing, right? Like, they have been banged up. And part of the reason why they've struggled in the bullpen a little bit is because they've missed guys because guys have gotten injured. So that's part of it. So, look, last night's result doesn't change my perception of the LSU Tigers. It doesn't change what I think the expectation should be for LSU this season. Not one bit. That said, them constantly having to deal with key injuries makes me worry about down the road. And when I say down the road, I mean Omaha, Nebraska. we got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll talk more college baseball. UL McNeese had midweek games. They pulled out the wins. We'll talk about that next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. LSU may have lost their midweek game to the Nichols Colonels, but UL and McNeese picked up wins last night. We'll start with the Raging Cajuns. Matt Deggs' team, the first of two midweek contests, and they took on the Southern Jaguars last night. Connor Higgs had a two-run triple that fueled a seven-run third inning that proved to be the big difference maker in a 9-0 lead that ended up being a 10-5 win over Southern at the Teague last night. Carson Rockford had his first three-hit game of the season, going three for four with a pair of RBIs. They could really use him to perform at that level the rest of the way. John Taylor also drove in three runs as the Raging Cajun snapped a three-game losing streak. They improved to 27-15 and 15 overall. Kyle DeBarge, who got into the lineup a little bit over the weekend at JMU, and he's really kind of the guy that stirs the drink, so to speak, for this Cajuns team this year. He also got a pair of hits as the Cajuns recorded nine hits in the game and faced Southern for the first time since 2015. Cooper Rawls improved to 9-0 on the season. He was one of five scheduled pitchers used by the Raging Cajuns. He struck out two and allowed a pair of hits in two innings as he moved into a tie for the national lead in victories with McNeese's Grant Rogers. It's a win. But why are you using Cooper Rawls against Southern? Like, I just, just, it just, look, look, he got the win. He only, I, I, I have a fundamental problem someone getting, recording a win for only pitching two innings. Well, but. I was going to ask you about the process of deciding who gets the win in those situations because no one threw 
significant innings? It's strange. It's strange. You, you have to go with the starter. That's how it works. Okay, I understand that. But but if someone threw more innings than he is, aren't you allowed to give the win to the person who threw the most innings if you're the official scorer? Isn't that a rule? If no one mm. threw five innings? you sh- I, I feel like you should be. I don't know. We'll have to do, we'll have to do a deep dive on that. But if he's going to be your guy, but I, but he's not though, and I think Coach Dex told us as much on Foot Show yesterday. I don't think he I don't think he thinks he has anybody that that they don't really have a rotation anymore. Is what I gathered from Coach Dex's comments yesterday. He said essentially he said that in the press conference too, right on Monday while it was yeah. going to be by, kind of by committee and like full time, and so like every game he essentially said they're not going to go with a. Now, we'll see this weekend if he kind of sticks with that because that would be the big test. But he basically said they're not going to have starting pitchers anymore. They're just going to throw split games, bullpen games, for the rest of the year. Now, I imagine if Cooper or whoever it is that starts on Friday night goes out there and has four scoreless shutout innings, they'll roll with him as long as they can. But, yeah, I think that's why he threw Cooper. And, I mean, you know, that's I, – I don't – it's not my it's not my philosophy uh, as far as pitching, but – um. I think he thinks he has to. I don't think he prefers it to be this way. Are you surprised that a team coming off an NCAA regional and was with, with much as high as the preseason expectations were that we're here at the end of April and they're just having to go pitcher by committee and they don't have a rotation? Yes and no. Like, yes, because I figured they would be able to fill some gaps in and, you know, with some transfer portal guys and some of the guys they brought in. But no, because they didn't have any guys like this last year. I mean, the, the guys who ended up being your – the only reason you had workhorse starter guys is because Schultz and Tally figured out how to move from the bullpen to the rotation. Like, those guys were brought in to be back-end relievers or at least thought of to be back-end relievers. When we started the season last year, yes, and then – as the season progressed, he figured out, hey, these guys are our best option to start. Right, and but like they still, I mean, though that was you know those weren't guys that you looked at coming in when you recruited them. Whatever, Tally was brought in to be a two way player, right? And he ends up being a yes. Friday night starter. Yes. So, and Schultz, kind of the same way. Like Schultz, I think they saw as a as a back end reliever. He just profiled as a back end reliever, high velocity, good movement. And it didn't like it ended up kind of switching around like that. But that's not easy to do. And so I think they found. You know, they found issues with that. Now, look, McGeehee, you still have hope. He's only had one bad start. He's had injury issues more than anything. So he's still the guy that you sit there and go, maybe he can figure it out. But, yeah, like Jake Hammond's also dealt with injury issues. They, you know, they talked about that's why he's not in the rotation. And Jackson Neza's just been largely inconsistent. And, um, you know, that's – but I, I'm not, so I'm surprised somewhat, but I'm also not because, like, they didn't have these guys last year, and, and I wasn't, you know – I, I, there wasn't anyone coming back, so you know it's just tough to find those guys each year. Yeah, I, I, I'm surprised. That, now, look, and to be fair, Deggs' forte is hitting, right? And that's also part of it. And, But I, I, I'm a little surprised. I thought we would at least have one guy that would be the consistent guy. Like, McNeese has Grant Rogers. He's their guy. Now, they don't have really anyone else behind him, right? They have pitcher by committee behind them. And so I'm, I'm, I'm just a little surprised is all. But Raging Cajuns get the win. They'll host another midweek contest tonight when they bring in the Northwestern State Demons out of the Southland Conference. Speaking of the old Southland Conference, the Mineese Cowboys 
got themselves a win 8-1 to one over LSUA yesterday in a game they had to get moved up to 4 o'clock. They improved to 27-13 and 13 overall on the season, the Cowboys do. And uh, they had their hands full early on here with the Generals. My alma mater, by the way. Shout out to the Generals. This was a close game. McNeese led one to nothing, but then LSUA tied it up in the top of the fourth, and it was 1-1 heading to the bottom of the seventh. But then McNeese finally got their bats going, played two runs in the bottom of the seventh, five in the bottom of the eighth to get the 8-1 victory. They held LSUA to one run on four hits, and obviously the Cowboys scored seven of their eight runs in the final two at-bats, including five runs in the eighth inning. Overall, it's its eighth game, eighth win in the last 10 outings. And McNeese will return to Southland Conference action this weekend as it visits Incarnate Word for a three-game series, a key series for McNeese as Incarnate Word's one of those teams barely above them in the standings. They win this series, they can vault up and be in the mix for the regular season championship. But also, more importantly, the tournament championship is what really matters because the Southland is a one-bid league. Braden Duhon, he had, went two for four with two RBIs. Josh Leslie, two for five with a run scored. Uh, ben David went two for two as well with a ribby. So contributions across the board for the Cowboys as they get the win. So a pair of midweek wins for McNeese and the UL Raging Cajuns. And once again, we've talked about this. A midweek game doesn't mean all that much to LSU. It means a lot more to UL and McNeese. But even look at when they're not playing the bigger teams who they're playing, right? That that should give you a glimpse into the midweek games. UL is playing Southern in Northwestern State. Those are teams that are below them, right? In another classification, essentially. What we used to call old 1AA. And McNeese is playing LSU A. So, yeah, Southern and Northwestern State are still Division One, though. The the McNeese one, I don't really understand playing LSU A, especially. Oh, here he comes, coming after McNeese again. No, look, we talked about it earlier. The Chuck. No, I do. I really enjoy. I I love everything McNeese. It's a great color. It's a great shade of blue, and the yellow nicely accents it. But when it comes to these things, I'm sure it has something to do. Yeah, scheduling. McNeese is playing Nichols again right, in a midweek game. Right. That's a not that's a non-conference game because yeah. you run out of people to play. Just at this point in the year, though, too, like I just think you got to be able to find better better quality opponents at this point of the year. But I don't listen even listen up, Heath Royer, athletic director. Oh no, it's not like that. I just think I'm just I would like to hear the you know I'd like to know the reasoning behind it. That's all I'm saying. That's right. What's the comparable to playing like say High Point University? Well, they're Division One, so it counts in the RPI at least, which, I mean, although I don't know, maybe the, if this game doesn't count in the RPI, maybe that's better for McNeese than playing somebody who would lower it, although for them, RPI doesn't really matter at this point. No, but, it doesn't matter if you're in the Southland. But, um, like, like, as great as the win was for Nichols, yeah, no, it doesn't help them. They only moved, I think they're still like 127 or right, so, so. Right, you have to win your conference tournament in the Southland Conference. That's why it kind of, you, 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 you rag on them a little bit about playing LSUA, but... It does, you, you say to this point of the season, yeah, you're right. They still go. They still have to go play LSU, by the way. I'll tell you, none of these teams want to play LSU-E. 
None of them you don't want that smoke. They don't. Oh, that's a perennial powerhouse. They got national championships. And three. Plural. And they probably are going to be in the running for one this year. I'm excited for it. There we go. We got to take a timeout. Can't wait to send Dawson over to Lake Charles to cover an event. <laughs> hey, what's the deal with playing LSUA? Is that because you, you've you now been working with LSUE? Is that, are you hating no, on my alma all, mater? Is that all. what's Which, really going on that's here? That's not even like a rivalry type thing, right? Because that's not even the same classification either. Is an LSUA four-year university? They're four-year yeah, university. But, they began as a two-year. No, and look, the, four I, year. The, the first thing I criticized or spoke about on the show about scheduling like this was about UL's basketball team and the, and the non-Division one games they play. So it's not McNeese-specific. I just, just want to ask best. some questions. I just... I just didn't know if we were going to be beefing because of our uh, uh, affiliations with LSU directional schools. Cajun Prairie versus Alexandria. I remember when we had to vote on the nickname, the Generals. I want to say there was also on the ballot the Mighty Oaks. Because there's a lot of oak trees on there on the campus of LSUA. But they went with Generals, which was probably the best, <laughs> the best idea. We got to take a time out. When we come back... NBA playoffs. We'll recap last night's action for you. Unveil the foodie poll question of the week. That's all next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. NBA playoffs. Ooh. I wasn't expecting things to be so salty and so intriguing in the first round with some of these matchups. Boston decided yesterday to play with its food. I don't get what the Celtics are doing. And they are letting the Atlanta Hawks have life here. As the Hawks win last night, one nineteen to one seventeen, to make it three two. Now, obviously, they still are down by one game and one game away from elimination. The Hawks are, but I don't know. This has been a weird series for me because I thought Boston would easily dispatch of the Hawks. We talked about it during the playing tournament that of the two teams, Milwaukee got the worst end of the deal because they had to play Miami and Boston probably was like, oh, great, we got Atlanta, not a big deal. And the Hawks were awful during the regular season. They were below 500. Yet they still have Trey Young. And you know what Trey Young's really good at? Putting basketball? The, yeah, putting the basketball in the bucket. That, that That's what he does really well. 38 points last night. He also had 13 assists. Gets a big three-pointer late. I guess the chance of overrated being yelled at him by Boston fans didn't really matter because he lit him up, 
and he has been kind of stupid during the playoffs as he continues score over 30 points seemingly every game. Boston should still win the series, but when I watch the Celtics play, and I noticed this during the regular season, and I've noticed it in this playoff series, they do what I call drift off. There are times when Boston doesn't seem to be very interested. And they allow they have allowed the Hawks to kind of get back into games or they have allowed Atlanta to take control of a game. I mean, Boston was outscored 37 to 25 in the fourth quarter at home. Huh? What? what? No, it's it's one of my favorite kind of you know, frames of reference for sports, like great stories in sports. So I don't think it fully applies in this series because I do think Boston closes it out in game six. But, you know, Kevin Millar in the in the great Boston Red Sox turnaround of 2004 where they win four straight games against the Yankees, there's a lot of clips where essentially game four he was walking around saying, don't let us get this one to his teammates to fire him up saying, and everybody's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, we win tonight. We got Schilling tomorrow. We got Pedro in game six, and then anything can happen in game seven. So they sh- they, they can't let us win this one. And, like, you know, kind of the mentality was was correct. And for Boston, it's, you know, again, I don't think it's going to get to that point, but it's like, don't let them win that one. Now they go back to Atlanta for game six, and then game seven, anything can happen. So, And you want to have the extra rest. Like, you you want to close out the right. opponent. and Because the problem is, okay, you have to go back to Atlanta, and the Hawks are going to be fired up, and their fans are going to be fired up, and everything like that. And you, you expect them to play really hard and play really well at home. So it's going to be a little bit more of a challenge for you to close out the series, even though I still like Boston to win it in six and go to Atlanta and win the, win the series. But then, if you somehow slip up and let them win that game in Atlanta, then you have to come back and you have to have a game seven, and then anything can happen because there's not an extra game after it. Right? And we've seen crazy things happen. So Boston is still the favorite to come out of the East for me, even though I think Philly may have something to say about it. But they're just messing around. Like, I I don't know. It's just one of those things, and I saw it during the regular season too. And I went, there'd be games where you go, what you doing, Boston? Like, why are you messing around with this team that's clearly inferior? And the Hawks are. They're not as good as Boston. I'm stunned that they've won two games in this series. Other action last night in the association. Two series did get closed out. Nuggets take care of the Timberwolves. Timberwolves did show some fight there in the second half last night. Made it a close game. But the Nuggets hold on as Jokic and Murray combined for 63 points. 63 between those two. As they win 112-109, to 109, the top seed in the West moves on to the Western Conference semifinals as a dispatch of the T-Wolves in five games. The other matchup, Clippers-Suns, Booker. How good is he? Like, can we have that? Like, he's so good. 47. He makes 47 points look easy. Like, Devin's the type of guy his game is, he makes it look so easy, makes you think like you could do it. You can't because you're not Devin Booker, 
47 points last night as the Suns close out the Clippers, 136-130. to They win that one in a gentleman's sweep fashion as well. And Durant gave them 31. Aiden had 21. Chris Paul even scored 15. Booker had 47. As Phoenix, who I feel like we talked about this before, got a break in the first round matchup with the Clippers. Paul George didn't step on the court, and then Kawhi was lost after game two. And Phoenix... They caught a break, and that may be the best thing for them as they start to build chemistry more and more moving forward. And we'll talk more about that moving forward as the playoffs continue. Can we have a discussion quickly just for like a minute about the Clippers? Paul George, Kawhi Leonard teaming up. I don't know if it works because they don't play. I grew up with the NBA. I grew up with Bird and Magic, Celtics-Lakers rivalry. I grew up with the Bad Boy Pistons. I grew up with Jordan. I don't remember so many stars getting injured and not being able to play in playoff series. I'm not speculating here, Dawson, about Kawhi shutting it down or not shutting it down because I know there's been some rumblings about that and Ty Lue even had to address it to the media. That's not my place. So let me be clear. But you have so many stars and superstars in recent years, whether it's Paul George and Kawhi Leonard with the Clippers, whether it's Zion with the Pelicans, whoever it may be, that are always injured and don't play. And it's a weird thing. It's a weird thing from an old-school NBA guy to see that because you'd have injuries and you'd have guys have a severe injury. But I can't remember a time in the last, and it feels like just the last couple of years, where so many guys, like a half dozen guys, are injured in missing playoff series. And I don't know why it's happening. I have no clue. I think a lot of it has to do with the caution involved with when a guy gets injured nowadays and like almost all the technology and, and, and knowledge that, we have is making almost makes it less likely for guys to play in a way where I think in the past mm, guys okay. got hurt and you just said, well, when he, when he feels okay enough to play, go ahead and play. Whereas like, you know, a situation with Zion, like I think if it was 20 years ago, Zion probably would have been, they'd have been like, all right, go ahead and play. Or even 10 years ago, injury. even 10 years ago, even so. Right. And I think that, so, you know, I think, and maybe it is in the best interest of the players. I think probably it is. But um, it does, yeah, I, I guess take away from the moment. I think, you know, and, and I know we're coming up on a break here, but I think what, what Kawhi is right now with the Clippers is what you fear if you're the Pelicans and Zion moving forward, if he's able to get back to playing. Ooh. Now, the interesting thing is, like, Kawhi got two championships and, like, played that run with the Raptors that was incredible, and then all this stuff kind of started to happen. Now, there was a little bit of it before that, you know, at there the was. end of the San Antonio run. But he was able to get through it to win a couple of titles. And, I mean, look, if the Pelicans, if you're going to get two titles out of it and then a bunch of question marks, I would Or just that. one. Yeah. But I think that's the fear. Like, Kawhi's on this incredible run, and then he just he's just done. I'll, I'll just I'll see you all next year. It just, it just unf- And, again, I'm not saying he's not hurt, but And Paul tough. George the same way. See. The fact that George was even able to come back from that devastating injury right, he had right. it with the Pacers and even be able to play basketball. But it's just a weird thing, man. 
where you have so many of the league's best players not playing in playoff games because they're injured. And this Clippers-Suns-specific series like felt like it was going to be six-seven game battle, and it ended up not being. And then we and find out, what, three days beforehand that Paul George isn't going to play. Right. And then Kawhi well, gets even, hurt yeah, in game after, two. After it started, too. And, I mean, Russ and Kawhi, that was going to be tough to stop. It was going to be a good series, and we didn't get that, unfortunately, as fans. Did not get that. More playoff action, obviously, will be going on tonight in the association. Knicks, Cavs. Knicks will look to close out that series. They're up three games to one. Lakers, Grizzlies. Lakers look to close that out. They're up three to one. Heat, Bucks. Can the Heat go to Milwaukee and close out the Bucks? That would be stunning. And then Warriors, Kings. That series is tied 2-2. So a full slate of NBA playoff action tonight. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up right here on the game. This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 came to the station this morning to do only two things. Kick some ass and drink some beer. Looks like we're almost out of beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter, isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer or some flavored water. Back to more kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. How about the McNeese Cowboys football team? Getting themselves a big guy out of the transfer portal. Marcus Peterson, four-star wide receiver from Cincinnati, as in the Cincinnati Bearcats, is transferring to play for McNeese for Gary Goff, the second-year head coach. Six foot three, 218 pound. Peterson was on the roster at Cincinnati last season, but did not play. He still has four years of eligibility remaining. Peterson made his official visit of McNeese on Tuesday morning and had planned trips to Houston and Colorado over the next couple days. Those have been canceled as Gary Goff was able to lock him up and have him commit to play for the McNeese Cowboys. That's a huge get. Is September 2nd here yet? Tarleton State in Lake Charles. I can't wait. I'm fired up. Let's go. go. Let's go. D-Lo's ready. They, ready. Hey, they get to go to Florida the week after that, take on the Gators, which I wouldn't mind if the Gators lost the game. Be okay. <laughs> Our number one in the books. Our number two coming up right here on the game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything. Everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Seven oh three, which means hour number two has arrived on this hump day edition of RP3 and company. Woo, we've been having so much fun this morning talking about all the sports. We even forgot to get to the foodie poll question of the week. We forgot to unveil it in hour number one, D-Lo. 
We let the people down. We'll make it up, though, to them. We are, of course, broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Hour number one, we recap the night it was. LSU loses its second straight midweek game to an in-state opponent. Last week, it was the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Last night, it was the Nichols Colonels who held on for a 6-5 win. Bullpen gave up a couple of runs late. Eh. They got injuries. Lots of guys are banged up for the Tigers. They'll gear up for a three-game set against Alabama this weekend there at Alex Box Stadium. I still like this team to win the SEC regular season championship. Tournament championship? I don't know. I think South Carolina could have something to say about that. But I still like them to host a regional. I still like them to host a super regional. I still like them to win a regional. I still like them to win the super regional. And I still like them to make it to Omaha for the College World Series. Whether or not they can win it is going to depend if they can figure out the back end of their pitching. Because due to injuries or due to just the inconsistency or guys just not being able to handle playing for the Tigers, which has happened over the years, their back end, their relief pitching their bullpen is not great and that could be their Achilles heel that in injuries that's the other thing that I'm slightly concerned about because it seems like every week we're LSU's dealing with a new injury to a key player and you just go what if they're not healthy you know what if they make it to Omaha and the bullpen has a meltdown or they have one of their key bats out of the lineup due to injury. I still like them to get to Omaha. Last night's result doesn't change my perception of that. But once again, this is the second straight midweek game where you go, eh, the bullpen, not great. Not great for LSU. McNeese, after being in a tight game, they finally pull away to beat LSUA. Dawson's favorite team in the state of Louisiana. Which one? Oh, the A, bud. Yeah, the generals. No, great, great, young, great young program. Yes, yes. I remember when they built the ballparks there. I was like, hey, now I have to watch out where my golf ball goes when I play on the course. Um, <laughs> there, there's a nice water feature behind the, the the park, a nice little pond area with a sprinkler. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a whole, it's a whole thing. McNeese beats LSUA. UL, meanwhile, takes care of Southern. Cajuns snap their three-game losing skid because they lost all three of their games to JMU. They will have Northwestern State tonight at the Teague. Our guy, uh, Matthew Miguez, will be there in attendance covering that for 1037thegame.com, 1041thegame.com. Also, check out his social media and the game social media for our video recap and whatnot. And then comes the angry sea roosters to town who got absolutely mollywopped last night in a midweek contest themselves. I'm talking about, of course, Coastal Carolina. The Chanticleers. Oh. Kevin Foote's logic would be that's not going to bode well for the Cajuns because Coastal got smacked around 
right? That goes into his paying the piper mentality, right? So because Coastal got mollywopped last night, they're going to be angry and you don't want to face a team that gets routed and then has to come to you, right? I mean, that's the whole thing. That's that's part of Kevin's logic. I know it's like a beautiful mind and you have to put the yarns on the piece of the board and attach everything together a lot of times with his stuff, but the Cajuns will have an opportunity to kind of get back on track. And this is not a knock on Southern, but they're not ranked in the top 10 in the country. And this is not going to be a knock on Northwestern State, who the Cajuns face tonight. But, well, once again, they're not ranked top 10 in the country. Do the Raging Cajuns, Matt Deggs' team, in your opinion, D'Lo, do they need to win the series this weekend? Um, That depends on what you're asking for. To accomplish what? Well, you would probably like to be one of the top four seeds heading into the conference tournament, and you're running out of weekends to ensure that you can lock that up. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've also have lost six of your last nine because you won last night. So you're playing a quality opponent. I don't think even if they beat Coastal Carolina and beat Southern Miss, I don't think they could be an at-large. So that's why I, uh, that, I, I, that would be my point there. I don't think you need to because you don't really have – you're back to a situation where you got to win the tournament. Like, they, 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 yeah, they'd love to win the series, and I think it would be a statement win. And It would also help with your confidence, wouldn't it? Certainly. Um, but I think this Coastal team's really good. Well, and I think the team that beat them last night, Wake Forest, is even better. And Wake Forest has – they have an argument to be the number one ranked team um, right now. They they have a they have a com- a conversation to be had about them and LSU, but that's a different conversation. Um, so no, yeah, it would be great. It would be great, but I just don't. Um, I don't know if they've got much of a chance uh, unless they get a couple of outings from some pitchers that we're not expecting. That's fair. That's fair, and I'm also fascinated to see if, in fact. We're going to go with this pitching by committee in every game approach that Matt Deggs has laid out. And if it works, what if he goes out there and he's throwing like four different pitchers every game and they actually take the series? Well, then it's going to be, well, that's what we're going to do the rest of the way. <laughs> right. No. And yeah, that would be the case. But I would it would it would be tough. It would be tough for that to be the, to be the case, I think. Like, I just think you're not going to. To have that many guys be on in the same night yeah, against yeah. an offense like Coastal would You're be asking a tough a lot. ask. You're asking a lot. Doesn't uh, you're asking? You're asking a ton. Is <laughs> what you're doing. LSU loses last night. Cajuns get the midweek win over Southern. McNeese gets the midweek win over LSUA, the Fighting Generals. How about the Houston Astros, bud? We didn't talk about them in hour number one. But after getting roughed up a little bit in the opening game of this series against the best team in baseball right now, the Tampa Bay don't call us Devil Rays, they go into the trop. Speaking of playing in Costco buildings, they go into Tampa Bay and they shut out the Rays five to nothing. Garcia who started off the season awful. Luis started off the season awful. 
That's now back-to-back quality starts. His best pitching performance so far of this season was last night, scattering three hits over six innings as the Astros snapped Tampa Bay's 14-game home winning streak, a historic 14-game home winning streak. Held him to only five hits total in the ballgame as the Shros picked up the wins. What do you think about that, bud? Luis was outstanding, and I think it looks like he's maybe found something here, or Keedy has kind of gone the opposite way. They've had kind of opposite season arcs here so far. So far, yep. Um, so that is something to monitor. But Mauricio Dubon's continuing his Dude. MVP campaign, which is good. Um, when you talk about the best players in baseball, it's Mike Trout, Shohei Otani, it's Mauricio Dubon, so that's good to see. Um, you, Jeremy you, Pena. You, you sarcastically say that. What if the Astros didn't have Dubon? Oh, I mean, he's been so outstanding. He's, he's no, been outstanding I mean, he really for has them. Been. And we talked about it with Brett Chancey yesterday. Even when Altuve comes back, you're going to have to find a way to get this guy into the games. Yeah, I think I think it'll work itself out. He, um, he's going to be he's going to be your you your utility guy to come in because he can play outfield and the infield. I see I see people's concerns with that, and it's the same thing they were talking about with Jolks and Brantley and Brantley coming back. Like it'll be fine. I don't think you can have too many good major league baseball no, players on no, your roster. No, dude, who's complaining about that? Well, I see a lot of Astros fans talking about. Well, what are we going to do when Brantley comes That's back a great and Jolks is playing? Right, and 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 other guys are going to get hurt, and other yes, guys, and you're going to have to give guys rest. And I don't think Dubon is going to play like this all year. I'm sorry for saying so. I don't think he will. So. But I think you it's have fine to give him credit for yeah. stepping no, up. He's Not only great. did he step up and fill in for Altuve, and he's done a very good job doing that, they also had to move him into the leadoff spot after McCormick got hurt, and he has thrived in that role as well. So you've asked him to step up in two different ways when we thought, is this guy even going to get any playing time after how he played last year? So credit him for stepping up for the team in a big way. I don't want to downplay that. And here's the other right. thing. These guys, like you mentioned, Dubon, Jolks, these are guys that aren't going to get a ton of playing time the rest of the way, right? But they're getting the reps now, and they're contributing for the Astros, which means Dusty's going to have confidence calling on them in pinches the rest of the way. Yeah, well, and I, again, like my point being this stuff works themselves out. I saw a lot of like, well, you know, they might as well keep Brantley down on a longer rehab assignment because Jolks. Well, then... Jordan Alvarez has neck discomfort, so like Jolks is going to play anyway. Correct. So like these things just happen. You can't have enough quality yeah, players. There's, there's ever, no worries there. Ever. That's never a and thing. And last thing I'll say on last night's game, Jeremy Pena seems to be finding it a little bit. We'll the see. The bat how. is starting to come around a little bit. He had the two hits, but I like how he's swinging. Not necessarily that he got the two hits, which is great, but we talk about this a lot of time in baseball because some people don't understand. You can tell that a guy is turning a corner even if he goes 0 for 4 by the way his at-bats go. And you're starting to see it a little bit with Pinion. Yeah, he got the two hits last night. So the Strohs, 5-0 victory last night. They snapped Tampa's home winning streak. And they'll be back in action again, and we'll have that game for you, of course, right here on the game. 540 is first pitch. Astros at Tampa. We do have our foodie poll question of the week, which is always our poll question of the day on Wednesday. What is your favorite festival international food item? Because that's the big thing. We talk about the music and the global music and everything like that. I'm sorry. Astros Tampa Bay, Houston Tampa Bay will be on our sister station, News Talk 98.5 FM. My apologies. 
That's on our sister station. Fruity poll question of the week is our poll question of the day. What's your favorite festival international food item? You've never been to festival. This will be your first time. I've been a few times. I enjoy the food more than I do the music. I'm also a big fella. I will probably be the same way if I had to guess. You get all types of different food. You know, um, it, there's everything from like sweet potato beignets to all different types of pull boys, international food. I know a lot of a lot of people go for the international music. I go for the food. Unfortunately, this year I will not be going to festival for any food because I'm on the weight loss project. By the way, guess who got under three bills? This guy did. This guy did. Yes, weigh-in day is Wednesday. But I've been before, and you can sample a ton of great food. So is it a pull boy? Because you can get all different types of pull boys. Is it some sort of Cajun dish? Is it the plethora of desserts, or is it other? Because you have so many different food vendors at festival, not only local and regional restaurants and eateries, but caterers and chefs from outside the area, which makes it such a great event. Right now, 36% of you say a Cajun dish, 27% say a pull boy, 23% say other, and 14% say desserts. Let's get to some comments. Hart says, for me, it's either the crawfish bowl bowls, which are really good, by the way. Dawson, take notes. Or the potato tornado. I hate that we only uh, get this experience once a year, probably just as much as Two Degrees hates McNeese. Oh! JPK the OD says, the soup of the day, as long as the soup of the day is a high-end bourbon with ice croutons. JPK the OD. My man is, my man loves him some bourbon. B-Rad says, I've never been to that, but at the Rice Festival, I'm looking for jambalaya and a sauce pecan. You know, the Rice Festival is a good event as well, if you've never been, by the way. Also, Etouffee Festival in Arnaville is this weekend. Also, you're going to have some great food there, including tremendous crawfish Etouffee. Ralph says, I'm not sure if it's Cajun or other, but that crawfish spinach bread boat from Boncrill is fire. That is, it's a whole experience. Once again, I can't have that right now. Todd says, never been. Need to rectify that. How you've never been to festival, Todd? Steve, never been to Festival International? What's going on here? My Acadiana peeps. I'm not even originally from Acadiana, and I've been more than you guys? What's going on here? Steve says, never been to Festival, but I've been to many other gatherings, and my favorite is always a funnel cake. Who doesn't like funnel cakes? I love funnel cakes. My wife adores funnel cakes. The Notorious Dub says, yes, please, D-Lo. These are the fat boys, FYI. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Keep voting on the foodie poll question of the week, which is our poll question of the day on Wednesdays. What's your favorite festival international food item? Is it a poll boy? Is it some sort of Cajun dish? Is it the plethora of desserts you can have? Or is it other? Go vote and leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. We got to take a timeout. But more RP3 and company coming up right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are some hosts 
that talk like they know everything. But you don't have to worry about our guy, RP3. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. That's because he never knows what he's talking about. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Back to the show in the know. RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Yeah, you know, we saw we saw some good things, you know, clearly. But it's work in progress for all of those guys in terms of, you know, where they need to get to for the fall. Um you know, J.K. and Denver um, and, and Alexander, all three of them are still, you know, in that process for us in terms of weight room, um, in, in terms of the the, the defense itself, um, and, and just the consistency of doing it at a high level. They're not there yet. We believe they can get there. Uh, we saw glimpses of it today. Um, you know, we saw glimpses of, of uh, LaTerrence, you know, his play today. Um, so I just think that we're, we're not there yet. We think we've got some guys that are capable of playing at a high level, um, but there's still, there's still work to be done. LSU head coach Brian Kelly, when asked after Saturday's spring game about the cornerback position, it's intriguing because I think that's the biggest question mark for me for this team. Yet Jane Daniels coming back at quarterback. You got Malik Neighbors and other guys coming back at wide receiver. Yeah, you lose Kayshawn Butte, but if Kyron Lacey can get it all together, I think you'll just be fine there. Offensive line will be better because your two best offensive linemen last year for LSU were the two freshmen. So they're going to be better this year. They're going to be able to run the football with whoever's back there. And linebacker, uh, you got Harold Perkins Jr., so you're good there. And yes, they have to deal with defensive line, and that's a question mark, and he spoke on that as well, and we'll get to that. But for me, it comes down to cornerback for them. It just does. And who's going to step up and serve in those roles? Because they had to piece it together last year. They had to piece it together. They had to figure it out. They took guys from UL. They took guys from McNeese and put them back there in the secondary to manage it. And who's going to step up? Who's going to seize the role? Because, look, LSU is known as what? DBU. That's what they're known for. That's what they're known for. Defensive back university. And that's the big question mark. In the SEC with high-powered offenses, is LSU going to have enough of those guys on the back end of the defense to be able to compete for an SEC championship? And I don't think we found out. I think guys showed flashes. You heard Brian Kelly talk about that, LaTerrence Welch being one of them, of guys that showed some flashes of what they could do, but I still think that's a legitimate question mark for this team heading into fall camp. Another big thing is, of course, defensive line, right? They're losing guys to the NFL. 
Ojolari and other guys. They will get Mason Smith back. Remember, he missed all of last year after suffering the injury against Florida State in the Louisiana kickoff down in the Superdome. Brian Kelly's talked about the state of the Tigers' defensive line. I thought there were some, you know, really positive things, right? Um, you know, Ovia Agufu is, is uh, a really good addition, uh, certainly. You know, I think he, um, you know, we had, uh, you know, probably a sack on each side uh, against our right tackle and our left tackle. Um, you know, I thought that, um, you know, we were really clean inside. You know, I thought we, we played, you know, good, fundamentally sound football there. Uh, I mentioned Omar. I thought, you know, his addition is, is going to be really big for us. He made a great tackle in space against a running back. You know, that's that says a little bit about his versatility and what he can do uh, in the box, out of the box. Perkins was really good. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, the plays that, that kind of stand out to me is we ran a counter and he was able to slip the second puller and make a, a TFL play. And that requires training, and uh, he's been really good um, picking those things up. So um, I think all in all, um, you know, the development of Harold at the linebacker position, the addition of, you know, Ovi and, and in particular uh, Omar, those guys have been really big for us. And, um, you know, they were the holes, if you will, that, that we were looking to fill with more mature players. Uh, Brian Kelly was not enthused about answering that question. <laughs> Just, it was, that, that man, that was painful. That man did not want to talk about the defensive line and, and, and the front seven. Look, I think they'll be fine. You still got Perkins at linebacker, even though you're moving him to the inside. You get Mason Smith back. You get some other guys back across the defensive line. I think they'll be fine. But we enter fall camp for LSU, a team coming off 10 wins, SEC West title, and a bowl victory in year one under Brian Kelly. And the questions aren't on offense. The questions are on defense. Can they replace the guys in the front seven that they're losing to the NFL draft? And can younger guys step up and seize the opportunity, grab that brass ring, if you will, on the back end of the defense? If they can figure that out, there's no reason why they can't win the SEC. They have the talent. Georgia's going to lose a ton again. I know Alabama will reload, and it's probably going to come down to those three teams. Now, maybe South Carolina takes a step this year out of the East, but LSU's going to have a great chance, and they're going to begin the season ranked in the top 15. And they'll have a great opener against Florida State down in Orlando at Camping World Stadium. How funny is it that Florida State and LSU began the season playing each other last year? They ended their seasons playing in the same stadium and Camping World Stadium. And they'll begin this season playing each other again at the same stadium that they played their last game last year. Funny how that worked out. We'll talk more about LSU spring football. What are some of still the question marks for this team, as well as the LSU baseball team with the Mad Dog, Ron Higgins, the columnist from Tiger Details, will join us next right here on The Game.
This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to RP3 and Company. Don't forget to vote on the foodie poll question of the week, which is always our poll question of the day on Wednesdays. What's your favorite festival international food item? Now, yours truly is not going to be sampling any of this deliciousness that Festival International is known for. Okay, On the weight loss project, gearing up for the 5K, my trainer, my coach, Hattie Elise Parch, <laughs> she's on top of it. She's not going to let me splurge. She's not going to let me go out there and eat all this deliciousness, whether it's pull boys or Cajun dishes. I got under 300 pounds today on the scale. All right? No looking back. I keep that training. Got to keep it up. She was also coaching me up yesterday. Made me, Dawson, she made me jog half of a mile. The little one did. She was all on it. Come on, Dad, let's go. It's a... Uh, she, she, she does her best Burgess Meredith impression, by the way. It's amazing. I feel like I'm in Rocky. But for all of you out there listening, you can sample the goods. What's your favorite festival international food item? Is it a pull boy? Because they have so many different ones there. Is it a, some sort of great Cajun dish? Is it a dessert? Oh, love desserts. Or is it other? Right now, 44% of you say Cajun dish. 22% say pull boy. 19% say other. And 15% say desserts. Go vote on the poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Right now, we're going to talk to someone, a man who samples desserts in between cruise ship vacations and being on movie sets. He's also one heck of a columnist. Our buddy from Tiger Details, Ron Higgins, the mad dog. Good morning, brother. How are you? Good. I'll fill you on the weight loss. I've been doing that since like December. I'm not going to tell you how much I lost because I don't want to make you feel bad right now but you're getting there i'm proud of you thank you i'm glad you're i'm glad your daughter's training you that that's a motivation right there there it's very much motivation i began the weight loss on march 1st so i do believe i've lost 23 pounds so that's a hell of a a a run since then uh since mid-december i've lost 56 my man look at us but you know what i gotta tell you this one time about, about about 50 years old I lost 100 pounds in like seven months. Wow. Yeah. I was crazy. <laughs> I, I was in Weight Watchers. With, with, it was me and a group of about 15 women. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to get to, you know, uh, the point in my life where uh, I can, you know, walk to the, you know, uh, walk in the store and not have to take a breath. So, you know, that that's the main goal. So I, I'm halfway there. I'm, I'm targeting like 260. You know, I'm yeah. a big guy. I think that's probably a decent weight for me. So that's what I'm kind of trying to get to, like 260, 265. So how tall are you? I'm six four. Me, I'm six four, about six four, six five. Yeah. I I just now got to two sixty one. So I'm trying to get to two fifty. That's about it. There Done. you go. So yeah, so that's a good weight for us, bud. 
That's a good yeah. way for us. See, it can yeah. be done. See, or we're trying to be more like Dawson is what it is, Ron. We're trying to be more like yeah. the D-Lo. There you go. That's All right, it. bud. Let's talk about spring football. It's over, thankfully. Um, <laughs> I just, I'm always just, yeah, spring football. I remember when we didn't even cover it. But it, it's it's what we do now. Uh, offense, I think they're fine, right? You got Daniels. You got the offensive line. You got a bunch of guys at wide receiver. Uh, the big question marks is on the defensive side of the football, in particular the secondary and the defensive line. Uh, what are your big takeaways from what Brian Kelly's had to say and about the LSU football team now that they've wrapped up spring football? Well, you're right. I think the offense is going to be really, really good. You know, I mean, uh, even though they didn't have their top two or three running backs, the offense was really, really good. Jaden Daniels looks really good. Receivers were were, were right. Uh, Defensively, I think the secondary is the uh, the one you got to worry about. I'm not defensive line. I'm not worried about because people are hurt. Your best your best linemen are still trying to come back from injury. I mean, Wingo was out. You know, Mason Smith is not back yet, but he will be. Uh, I think the defensive line can be fine. The secondary, that's what you got to worry about. It's, it's another rebuild for a second straight year. Uh, with, you know, mostly transfers, but you, they still they had some guys out. Major Burns wasn't playing; he was hurt. LSU had 17 guys out. The game, uh, and uh, probably four or five starters, and uh, so you couldn't get a clear picture, especially defensively. I think they're going to be fine. Uh, I mean, last year they, they they kind of figured it out in the secondary to, towards the back half of the year, uh, and we're okay. They probably need to do it a little bit quicker this year, but I think they'll be fine. But uh, I liked what I saw. Uh, I thought the execution was really sharp. Uh, you didn't see, um, you know, a bunch of you know blown plays or, or blown coverages or uh, penalties. Uh, I thought it was a, you know, I mean, obviously the, I mean, it was vanilla play calling, but still it was. I thought the execution was, was really good. I thought both quarterbacks played well. Yeah, offensively, I think they're going to be really good, and I don't think they're going to miss Kayshawn all that much. I think some of the other younger guys are going to be able to step up, and you have neighbors and, and, and others there. Offensive line, I think, will be even better, right? Because your two best offensive linemen last year for LSU were the two freshmen. So yeah. they, I think they're going to be better. What about running back? You know, I know they got the Trey, Trey Holly from Union Parish who uh, rushed for a bazillion yards in high school up there in North Louisiana. He's going to be in the mix. Noah Kane is back. Uh, you don't even know if John Emery is ever going to play again because of his grades. Uh, what do you think at running back, and what do you think they're going to do there? Is it going to be a platoon system for Brian Kelly, or do you think one of these guys is going to seize control of the job and be the RB1? Well, they got their returning starter back, so uh, that helps. I mean, he was hurt. Uh, and the guy come, I mean, it's amazing. He came over the guy's name, but he came as a walk-on, got a scholarship. Was it Williams? I mean, I mean that's how good. he's a good player. He's back. He's just hurt right now. Correct. Uh uh, I think he'll. I think he'll probably get the nod again. Uh, I think Kane's going to play a lot. Uh, he's vastly improved. He's lighter. He's faster. Uh, he looked. I mean, I think he's played really well this spring. John Emery, I don't know about. Uh, I just, I, I just consider John Emery a, 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 an and one if it happens. I mean, you haven't been able to count on this guy his whole career, so why start now? Uh, and Brian Kelly didn't seem to be exactly uh, put together a tone of hopefulness that that would happen either. 
No, just said, you know, just academically that stuff got to take care of him. So I just I always look at Jamer as like, you know, are you ever gonna just like not have a, a year where something's wrong, whether it's injury or academics or drama? You know, I mean, he, a lot of stuff he did this to himself. Uh, and it comes to a point you feel, you know, you, for a while you felt bad for the kid. Now he's just like, well, a lot of this is your own fault academically. Uh, I mean, if you had to sit out a year academically, if you had to sit out a year and then you came back, do you think you'd ever put yourself in academic trouble ever again? But he has. And so, like, nobody, I don't think anyone on the team really feels sorry for him at all. Uh, kind of your own doing, honestly. And so I think that they're like, well, if he shows up, he shows up. If not, we've got other people. Uh, next man up, let's move on. So I think that's the way they're kind of looking at it. And uh, they're not going to sweat it. But I, like, I like what I saw. I mean, I think, I think there was a, a, a feeling of optimism there. Uh, I thought it was one of the uh, – Better spring games they've had as far as execution and uh, everybody looked at had attention to detail and focus. I mean, I've seen some spring games that were train wrecks. Uh, I remember, I remember the spring game, uh, spring of twenty eighteen. Yeah, that was before Burrow came. And LSU, I mean, you come out of that spring, you thought. LSU might have a winning record. I mean, their, their quarterbacks were awful. It was not good. I remember being there for that. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was awful. It was not. It was. It was not. It was not good, brother. It was not good. Hey, let me uh, let me ask you about the baseball team. Look, a, a midweek loss is not a big deal for LSU. It just it just really isn't. Okay, uh, losing last week to UL, then losing last night to Nichols, it, it isn't a huge deal for them. But in both of those games, we've seen something that's popped up throughout the season as well in their SEC series. And that's been the back end of the pitching and the bullpen. And is the bullpen, their relief pitching, could that prove to be the Achilles heel for this year's LSU baseball team? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that, they need to get Nate Ackenhausen back in full form. The lefty, who I think he pitched last week a little bit, he had a hamstring problem. There's not a a pitcher in that bullpen. I, I, uh, I, I think Gavin Gidry has given them a good inning or two at, at the end of games. I think he's kind of like their clutch pitcher right now, who's a freshman. I can't name a guy in the bullpen that I really – Bryce Collins probably somewhat. But the rest of the guys? They all look lost. Thatcher and Blake look absolutely lost. Um, yeah, that, that, Thatcher and Blake uh, – uh, Blake Money. I, anytime you know, Blake Money gets on the mound, I just feel like there's going to be a home run within the first four or five batters. It was. Uh, it, it, it was with on t- last Tuesday night. It was within the first two pitches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, it was just like, it, oh, there it goes. And know uh, that's their that's kind of the downfall. I mean, that, that's kind of their their, their problem right now. Is to just. Uh, they don't have that. You know, I know he loves Riley Cooper. I don't love Riley Cooper that much. Um, the guy in Arizona he's had for a couple of years now who, uh, you he's, know, honestly. He's okay, right? He's okay. But you well, don't have confidence that he can come in and, and, and close the door. 
But look, he and Blake Money need to be trained by your daughter, okay? You need to lose a little weight, okay? I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, I mean, honestly, I mean, I just, I just, uh, I know some pitchers are, are heavier than others. I get it. But there's, those guys getting that game, I feel like, I feel like runs are going to be scored. Uh, you know, and, 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 you know, it hurt this week. Uh, uh, you know, when you uh, lose a, a, the pitcher for a year, that the freshman Chase Shores because of uh, uh, you know an operation on his arm, you know had Tommy John surgery, that really hurt. So that that is their Achilles heel right now. It sure is. So they they've got to get really good starting pitching, in which they've got from Paul Skeens, and last week they got you know somewhat from Ty Floyd, and the. the, the Third game, Christian Miller was okay, but uh, they got to come out and put up numbers uh, every game to win games. Uh, every single I, one I, of them, brother, they and, do. And, 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 and I tell you, this team is clutch now. I mean, they'll, they they stolen victories a bunch of times. I mean, they're not dead until they're dead. I mean, the, the Trubisky home run last week was unbelievable. Uh, you know, <laughs> he put him in the pinch hit. He it's a game winning homer, uh, uh, but. That's that's really the thing you got to worry about with this team, and 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 when you get in a, in a postseason, that's that's a big big worry because you're playing so many games uh, in a row, uh, in, in, in in regional, and in, in, of course in the College World Series, you're not going to win the College World Series without really good pitching. You're just not. You need too many days stacked on top of each other. Uh, need too many arms, brother. Appreciate you inside as always, Mad Dog. Enjoy your week, my friend. We'll talk to you next Wednesday, bud. Uh, I'll be on a cruise next Wednesday, but I'll call you. you know, I'll let you. I'll, I'll think about you. <laughs> my man, how many cruises is that for so far this year? This year, I think it's. Uh, I think it's just number three this year. One every two months. Oh, that's know? disappointing. I was hoping yeah. for more. I was hoping for more. Yeah. When it's all over, it's usually about six a year. And we try to go every two months. Every two months. Oh, by the way, I get you out of here with this from one of our listeners, Ralph. Mount Rushmore of cruise ports. Go. Uh, You're not going to like this, but uh, New Orleans is a great cruise port. It has a a big parking garage right next to the terminal. New Orleans is be one. Uh, uh, Fort Lauderdale be two right next to the airport. Uh, Miami, uh, the Cape Canaveral. Uh, I haven't been to any on the on the western east coast. Uh, I put Galveston last on that. I like going to Galveston. It's too far of a drive, and I don't like the parking. But New Orleans is about as good as it gets as far as cruise ports because, again. It has a massive garage attached to the cruise port, and you drop your bags out, get on the elevator, and you walk out, and you're right there going through the cruise terminal. New Orleans is out really, really good. There we go. Thank you, man. My friend Mobile. I'm going to mention Mobile. There you go, bud. Enjoy your trip. All right. See you. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to the game's YouTube channel at The Game Louisiana. 
That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Foodie poll question of the week is our poll question of the day on Wednesdays. You know this. You love it. You look forward to it. What's your favorite festival international food item? They have a lot of different pull boys every year. They have great Cajun dishes. They have tremendous desserts. And they also have original creations as well. And some of you have done a ton of work there with the write-in votes with other. Right now, 42% of you say Cajun dishes. 27% say pull boys. 16% say other. 15% say desserts. Let's get to some comments, shall we? Some good ones. Some of you have said you've never been. Ton, it doesn't matter that you live in Tioga, by the way. Shout out to the Indians. I covered them back in the day when I worked at the Town Talk. It's a short drive from Tioga. They're in lovely Rapids Parish on the other side of the Red River. To come down here for a festival international, my friend. Let's make it happen. Also, shout out to Notorious Dub. Uh, these are the Fat Boys. Interesting story. I love the Fat Boys. Somehow my cousins and I, when we were kids, the Fat Boys had their own movie. And we somehow convinced my grandmother and my great aunt to take us to the movie theater to watch the Fat Boys movie. It was not appropriate for children, yet we somehow conned our grandmother and great aunt to do so. (laughs) Hour number two in the books. Hour number three coming up right here on The Game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Oh, welcome back to RP3 and Company. Final hour has arrived of today's show. Coming up in a half hour from right now, TJ Jones from the State of the Saints podcast will join us as we'll preview the NFL draft and what approach he believes the New Orleans Saints will take or should take. And we'll dive into that in a half hour from right now. But right now, to lead off hour number three, we're going to talk Raging Cajuns with the man who's been the longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. A man who bleeds vermilion and white, our good friend Jay Walker. Jay, good morning to you, brother. How are you? I am. Uh, I am awake and uh, I am <laughs> upright, and I'm about two sips into my first cup of coffee. You're awake and you're alive. That is as good as it gets, my friend. All right. So, um, look, midweek games are what they are, right? And for the Cajuns last week, they got a big win over the number one ranked team in the country, and then they go on the road to JMU and they get swept. And they've bounced back and got a win to last night against Nichols. Uh, what are you seeing from Matt Deggs' team in the last few weeks? You got the great win against LSU, but then you got a couple of series loss, including the sweep at JMU last week. Uh, just a lot of inconsistency more than anything else. Um, the one thing that they have been consistent on is they're playing outstanding defense. Um, 
But you know, pitching's been inconsistent. Offense has been inconsistent. Players have been inconsistent. Some players have been very consistent, but not enough of them. And, um, you know, what am I seeing out of Matt? I'm seeing a guy who is determined to do whatever he has to do to try to make this better, including what he did last night. You know, he, he brings out, you know, Rawls for two and then Toit for two, and then he brings out Fluno, then he brings out Marshall, then he brings out Christie. Well, guess what? He's going to keep doing that. That was not a, um, a one-time thing. He's going to do it again tonight with five, four or five different pitchers, and then he's going to do it again this weekend. You know, Rawls is going to start on Friday. He might also start on Sunday uh, for very short stints. Uh, at least that's what, that's what I'm getting. That's what I'm hearing. So I don't think that right now, Matt trusts this pitching staff to get deep into games because you'll see guys go out and have a good first couple innings, and around the fourth inning, things start to go south. So I think you're going to see these guys pitch in short stints, and I think that what you saw last night is what you're going to see until further notice. Yeah, and he mentioned that right in the in his weekly press conference that it's going to be essentially pitching by committee moving forward. In uh, in trying to trying to stabilize things, right? Trying to figure things out with, with the pitching staff. Because I agree with you. I don't know if he trusts anyone to go six innings for him. I, I just I just don't think he does, and that's a little bit surprising. But you got to do something, right? Because you're getting towards the back end of the season here, and you got to figure out something to stabilize things. Because your lineup is good enough to win you ball games. Uh, you got to figure it out with the pitching and kind of get that under control. That being said, Coastal Carolina comes to town this weekend. They're ranked in the top 10, and I know they got clobbered last night by Wake Forest, who may be the best team in the country. Uh, but that's going to be a heck of a series at the Teague. Besides pitching, what's going to be the big key for the Cajuns to turn things around and win that series against a top 10 ranked opponent? Uh, two out hits. You know, it was something that this team was very good at earlier in the year, and it's something they haven't been very good at lately. Um, look, you're going to have to score runs this weekend because Coastal's going to score runs. I'm not going to say that they're a better offense than LSU, but I will tell you they're right there as far as their ability to score runs. They're averaging over 10 runs a game. They've got guys who can hit with power. This really looks like the Coastal Carolina team that came into the league in 2017 right after winning a national championship. They will be the best team to come to Russo Park since Ole Miss came in in the Super Regional in 2014. They are, um, I think that they're, they're Omaha possible. I don't think their pitching staff is great, but they cover that up by just bludgeoning the baseball. And... Um, they're really, really good. So if we're going to do short stints, we're going to have to have some really good short stints. But having said that, you got to, have to score runs because they're going to score runs. You just have to try to hold them down as best you can and score more than they do. Some teams have been able to do that, even in conference play, um, by you know holding them down to five or six and finding a way to score more than that. Uh, but that's the only way you beat them. Because if they if you don't go out and pitch a little bit, they're going to put up ten or twelve, and if they put up ten or twelve, chances are they're going to win. Now you know they lost to Wake last night, but they've already beaten Wake this year. All right? Right. So that's a split of the two games, 
And um, this is just a very, very good club coming in. But you got to get clutch hits. When you've got a chance to get runners home, you got to be able to do it. And if not, it's going to be a long weekend again. How key in that regard is having DeBarge back in the lineup? Well, you know, DeBarge is clutch. DeBarge is, is, is an outstanding player. Uh, Connor Higgs has um, emerged as the, the baseball player that Matt Deggs thought he was when he recruited him. Um, you know, Taylor got to 30 RBIs last night, and he didn't even start the first 10 games or so. Um, he's been very consistent. Um, but, the, but the guy they got to get going is Rockford. You know, he uh, now he got a couple, three hits last night uh, and had a big two-out RBI early in the game. But he's hitting like 190 with two outs. He, he hit almost double that last year with two outs. Yeah. So he's the guy that if this offense is going to be what you think it's going to be, he's the one that's got to get going. He's the one who's got to start getting clutch hits. Um, and I was glad to see him get a couple last night. Well, Jay, when you look at this overall new philosophy on pitching, we saw Cooper pitch last night, and we might also see him pitch this weekend. And I guess just from a you know perspective of watching this team, it's not something you're used to seeing in college baseball. So, do you think this can work for any you know longer than a weekend? This this idea that they're not going to have you know scheduled essentially starters; they're just going to kind of piece it together. You know what? I don't know. I um. If I did, maybe I'd be coaching and, and making more money than I'm making now. I, I just uh, I don't know if something like this is sustainable. Um, but you know, think about think about some midweek games that that you play when the other team brings out a new arm every inning. It's it, it's hard because you never get a chance to see a guy twice, and you don't um, you know every time you come in you got a different guy with a different repertoire, and sometimes it's very difficult to adjust. So I get what he's doing, and um, he's doing what he thinks gives him the best chance to win right now. Now, you know, is that going to remain? Well, he said it was going to be this way till further notice, so we'll see. Well, and one thing that could help that is that they got one of their better relievers in Dylan Toit back. What did you uh, see with the left-hander last night making his first appearance in quite a while? He was really good. Um, you know, Toyd is such a weapon because he's got great stuff. I don't know. You know, he's never been given an opportunity to start and go out and pitch five innings. So I don't know what he would be like if he did that. But, man, he had total command of his pitches last night. He had really good velocity. He was up to 91. Um, his, his breaking ball was sharp. His control was good. I really liked what I saw at a tweet last night. We're talking with Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. He joins us here on RP3 and company talking all things Vermilion and White. All right, brother, let's talk about tonight's matchup, uh, the second midweek game, and that's against Northwestern State out of the Southland Conference. What do you know about the Demons, and what are some of the challenges they present the Cajuns? Northwestern is um... – I'm going to say an average Southland Conference ball club. Um, I think they're over 500 in league play, a couple of games over 500 overall. Uh, Barbier is an excellent coach. Uh, they, they're fundamentally sound always. 
they come out and they play with a lot of passion. Um, you know, I, I know that that Tony really liked Barbier when he was an assistant uh, over at Northwestern. So, um, you know, they're they're going to be they're going to be a, a Southland team that's going to come in trying to beat you, and um, and we'll see what five guys Matt trots out out there tonight um, to see uh, how they go do against this uh, this Northwestern State lineup. Um, it's all it's all going to be about which five guys and how effective they are I, it, in my opinion i want to switch over to softball because they drop their you know first game of the series and in dramatic fashion yet they rally and, and take the next two games and continue that streak what do you think is the biggest strength of jerry glasgow's team as it stands right now and what do you think is the thing that could serve as possibly their Achilles heel moving forward? Well, you know, the thing that I liked is, you know, you get beat in walk-off fashion in the first game of a three-game series. Now, if you don't have a lot of fortitude, that could rip your guts out for the rest of the weekend. Instead, all you did was make them mad. And then they went out and dominated you the next, the next two days. This team's got really good senior leadership. You know, Carly Heath, you know, we talk we talk about a lot of the players on this team, but man, Carly Heath is just big time. And I uh, I heard uh, you know, visiting with the with Cody and Bobby that she was really PO'd after that game. And what does she do? She comes out, she hits three home runs in the next two games. She leads by example, she leads vocally and I just, you know, I just got a lot of respect for her. I think she's she's a, a great senior leader. She's getting to go home this weekend. She's from the state of South Carolina, and uh, we were we were joking yesterday with Matt Abair, and uh, I think the over under on family members that's going to be there is like thirty nine and a half. So, um, <laughs> you know, so good so good for her. Look, the, the Achilles heel on, on this team has been their Achilles heel all all year long. They're not a good defensive team. They, you know, I, I don't like to put it like this, but they got about four or five de- uh, designated players in the lineup, and you can you can only not play one of them on defense. And so they've got they've got issues there. And on days when they pick it and throw it okay, they're really really hard to beat. Um, but they're but they're if they go out and make two three errors and give up three or four unearned runs, they're very vulnerable. So that's the thing I think I I look at that every single game, Ray. I, I look at every single game. Said, okay, what did you give up and how did you play defense? Because the because they're going to hit one one through twelve um, because he he's got interchangeable parts offensively. They're going to hit the ball, and you know I think that you know with Shorman and Landry and Lamb. Uh, and Heath, I think they're going to pitch fine. But are they going to play defense? That's my question every time they go out. Well, Jay, wanted to switch it up a little bit and ask you one about basketball because we saw Isaiah Richards enter the transfer portal yesterday. So do you think, A, that has anything to do with the potential Jordan Brown decision, and B, do you expect Coach Marlin to attack that in the transfer portal as opposed to relying on young guys? Well, my answer to A is no. Um I don't think it has anything to do with that. You know, look, Zay's a great kid, and he. Um, but you know, when you're going out and you're getting like 
two, three minutes a game, um, and you're 6'11", and you've got some size to you and you can rebound the basketball, you probably feel like you want to play a little bit more. Um, so, you know, good for him. I, I hope he goes somewhere where he gets a chance to excel because he's he really is he's, – he's a great young man. I really, really like him. Um, you know, Bob is – if you look, he'll use the transfer portal. Now, he's not going to overuse it, but he's got to be able to go out. You've got right now, you've got Jordan Brown is still on the team. You've got Ratliff, who, um, who redshirted, who I think is going to be a really good one. Uh, and you have Joe Charles that, that can play inside. Uh, you need someone with experience to come in, whether it's through junior college or the transfer portal. You've got to bring in a big that's played college basketball. So, yes, I expect him to go out and get somebody with experience, not necessarily through the portal, maybe through junior college. But, yeah, he's going to have to bring somebody in with experience. Jay, appreciate your time. As always, brother, enjoy being on the call tonight for the baseball game between the Cajuns and the Demons, and we'll talk to you next week, my friend. I'll look forward to it. Thanks for having me. Go Cajuns. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language. You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukoraru, oof, and I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Wasawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced <laughs> last night. Me fail English? That's impossible. Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to RP3 and Company right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana sports station. Less than 10 minutes from right now, T.J. Jones from the State of the Saints podcast will join us. NFL Draft is next week. Or no, not next week. It's tomorrow. Ha! Yes, tomorrow. NFL Draft round ones, rounds two and three will be Friday, and then rounds four through seven will be on Saturday. We'll talk to T.J. about what the Saints approach should be and what he thinks they will do. Will they trade up? Mickey Loomis loves to trade up. We'll dive into that here in less than 10 minutes when T.J. Jones joins us. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day on Wednesdays. It's always our foodie poll question of the week. What's your favorite festival international food item? Oh, man, they have all different types of poll boys there every single year. They have great Cajun dishes, tremendous desserts, or other. There's all types of global cuisine as well because it is obviously Festival International. Right now, 39% of you say a Cajun dish, 28% say pool boy, 17% say desserts, and 16% of you say others. So keep those votes coming and leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. So far on today, we've dove in with LSU baseball dropping a midweek game to Nichols last night. UL getting a win over Southern. 
McNeese getting a win over LSUA. We talked NBA playoffs. We also dove into Brian Kelly and LSU spring football. We've talked McNeese getting a great guy out of the transfer portal for the football team, a former four-star recruit at wide receiver. Big deal for the Cowboys. Well, right now it's time for us to talk about interns. That's right. This month here on RP3 and Company and on the game, we've had a slew of interns from the University of Louisiana at Lafayette. It's a condensed internship in particular for freshmen to give them an idea of what the broadcasting business is all about, kind of a behind-the-scenes look. And one of our interns, who's wrapping up our her internship actually today, joins us now inside the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. University of Louisiana Lafayette freshman, Monroe native, Lauren Hill joins us. Lauren, good morning. Good morning. So, now that you've gotten to get a taste of things, seeing how we do things behind the scenes here at the game, are you trying to run as fast as you can to change your major? No, I think I'm going to stay with it. <laughs> I found a passion. It's been fun. Well, we appreciate you being here. You know, let's talk a little bit. You're from, uh, obviously, the I-20 corridor. What brought you down to, to come down here and attend school at the University of Louisiana Lafayette? I think the biggest thing for me coming here was the culture. I stepped foot on campus, and I was like, yeah, this is home. Have you had any scary encounters with the alligators that are on campus? Luckily, I have not, and hopefully I don't have one anytime soon because I'd run. Yes, there, there's. you don't want to be one of those people on one of those shows that I was prey or, yeah, you know, when attacked on vacations or anything like that. You don't want any of that. So, obviously, you came in here, you fell in love with the culture. It's one of the reasons why you decided to be a student here. But let's talk about, you know, wanting to be in broadcasting. What, uh, when did that dream start taking root for you? And, and what are your aspirations of getting into the broadcasting field? I started interested in broadcasting when I was a freshman in high school. I just saw everyone who would be like on the fields of NFL or on the sidelines at courts at NBA games. And I was like, I want to do this. And I've been around sports my whole life. So I want to stay involved in sports. I think broadcasting is something that I could see doing in the future. Oh, what kind of sports did you play growing up and did you play any in high school? I only played volleyball growing up, but I have three older brothers, so I've been around football, <laughs> basketball, track, all of that, but a lot of football and a lot of basketball. Now, I know uh, you're passionate about hoops. We've been talking a lot about the NBA playoffs on the show, and we've been talking to you about it off the air as well. Uh, for me, we talked about it earlier today, that it's been a, a far more exciting and unpredictable start to the NBA playoffs than it normally is. What's kind of stood out to you in these first-round series? Right now, I'd say the Atlanta Hawks and the Celtics with Trey Young dropping 16 of his 38 in the fourth quarter and forcing a game six. So I think they have the momentum right now. But also one thing that stands out is the injuries that have been happening with people we consider superstars like Joel Embiid, who is probably going to be MVP, but we'll see if he can make a return for Series 2. He's been banged up. Giannis is banged up for the Bucks, and they're on the brink of elimination by the Miami Heat, a Heat team that, by the way, lost to the Hawks in the first play-in tournament game, and here they are on the brink of eliminating the top seed in the East. Um, you know, you, you mentioned the Hawks and Trey Young. He's sensational. Lots of buzz this year about the Memphis Grizzlies. They, they embrace that role of being kind of the villain, talking trash, uh, Dylan Brooks went after LeBron James, called him an old man that he wasn't scared, and ever since then, 
Uh, yeah, D- Dylan Brooks has been on the back of a milk carton. He's been missing yeah. in, in action. These teams that are on the brink of elimination that we didn't think would be, like Memphis as the two seed against the Lakers, like Milwaukee against the eight seed, the Miami Heat, do you think they rally and win those series? Or do you think when it's this time next week, we're talking about Miami being in the second round, we're talking about the Lakers being in the second round? I think we'll definitely be talking about Miami because playoff Jimmy is just, he's different than regular season Jimmy. And then Lakers, I think they're going to take this one and we're not going to see Memphis in the next series. Oh, another early flame out for the Grizzlies. (laughs) Not great. I love John Moran in his game, but you could tell the hands bothering him as well. And the other guys aren't stepping up as, as much as they should. All right, we'll get you out of here with this, Lauren, because we're up against it. We're going to take a timeout. Who do you like now that we've seen a couple of these first-round playoff series in the books and a couple more of them will be wrapped up? Has it changed your mind on who do you like to go to the NBA Finals and who is that now? Celtics. Celtics all the way. Still like the Celtics. (laughs) Yeah, I said it earlier. They're playing with their food a little bit in this series. They shouldn't. I don't know why. They're sleepwalking a little bit. I don't love that, but... Yeah. I do like Boston uh, to get back. And you like them to win it all and to, ho- to hoist the Larry O'Brien trophy. I do. I see them winning it all. There it is. Our afternoon producer and co-host James Mesh will love that because he's a diehard Boston Celtics fan. So, Lauren, appreciate you being here. I hope you enjoyed your internship. And best of luck to you uh, with your studies and with your broadcasting career. Thank you so much. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, The NFL draft is tomorrow. It is finally here. That's right. What will the New Orleans Saints do? Will they stay pat at number 29? Or will they do what Mickey Loomis loves to do? And that is trade up. That man loves to trade up. Those late round draft picks burn a hole in his back pocket and he can't wait to get rid of them and move up. Especially if there's a guy he loves. But is there a guy the Saints love? We keep saying pass rusher. Is it pass rusher? Could it just be a defensive tackle? Could it be wide receiver? To break it all down for us and give us a preview of what he believes the Saints will do and maybe what they should do as well is the man who's the host of the State of the Saints podcast. Our good friend TJ Jones joins us here. TJ, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Hey, I'm doing just fine, Ray. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate you making the time as always, brother. So let's dive right in. Hmm? Will Mickey Loomis and the New Orleans Saints stay pat at 29, or are they going to move up tomorrow night? Well, that's kind of hard to say. You know, I I understand, like, over the last few years, the Saints have been extremely aggressive when it comes to moving up. But I feel like if you're not in love with a guy fully or you don't feel like you can actually, you know, maybe draft a guy, I don't see the point of moving up. Um, But – um, there are some uh, stories that are out there that are saying that they're very, very high on defensive tackle out of the University of Pittsburgh, Kalaja Kansi, who has been on a lot of people's draft boards, who has been uh, climbing the ranks. 
and uh, he could fall into the teens. And I can see like other teams that are out there that have like multiple first round picks. Maybe a team like the Seattle Seahawks at number 20, uh, the New England Patriots, who just like the New Orleans Saints are historically known for moving around in the draft there at number 14. And also uh, the Detroit Lions, who have a top five pick there at number 18. So if if they feel like they can actually get a guy like Elijah Kansi around the, the, the late teens, I can see them moving up. But if you don't feel like, uh, you know, you don't feel like you got the right guy and you're not fully in love with him, then stay at number 29. There's a lot of really good players that you can draft at that position. You know, we've spent so much time focusing on pass rusher and uh, that being probably the top need for this New Orleans Saints team. But I would argue that just as equally as important for this team is finding an interior offensive lineman. I, I would not be mad at this team if they took guard at 29 or guard at 40 because – you eventually want to get off the Andres Peak contract. You have not picked up the option yet on Ruiz. And we noticed that the depth at offensive line has been an issue for two years. You could get you a really good interior offensive lineman and get a really good guard there as well. Do you think that's a top priority for the Saints? Well, I think it's one of them. And you know, the funny thing about this, Ray, is it's not like how it, it was in years past, right? We we kind of knew what the Saints actually needed. A few years ago, uh, we knew the Saints needed a cornerback. <laughs> Instead, they went go get Cesar Ruiz, right? <laughs> they needed somebody to be the successor to Drew Brees. We thought er everybody thought they were going to maybe get Jordan Love, or back in 2018, maybe they thought moving up, uh, they were going to get Lamar Jackson. But this is one of those drafts that you really don't know what the Saints are going to do. And I can understand how you feel about the, the interior. Uh, one guy that I'm looking at and been high on a lot of people draft boards is, is guard Osiris Torrance out of the University of Florida. He would be a really good fit uh, for the New Orleans Saints. But it's not only just the offensive linemen. I mean, I can see the New Orleans Saints drafting a tight end at number 29, uh, like guy like Darnell Washington. We all know that uh, Derek Carr loves himself some, some good tight ends, right? Darren Waller, uh, you know, him and Darren Waller had really good chemistry. And you look at a guy like Darnell Washington, he kind of fits that mold, 6'7", 265 pounds, and an extremely athletic guy. So uh, there's so many different things they can do uh, in the first round. And to be quite honest with you, I, I'm not sure what they're going to do because, I mean, it, it's not one of those situations where, you know, you just really truly need – a certain position badly. They can do anything with that number 29 pick. Yeah, and they find themselves in a position of, of power in that way because they can trade up if they want to or they can trade back. Right. Um, right. And they can take best player available, which they love to do. And we know Jeff Ireland and Mickey Loomis, they put together their draft board, and there's usually five to six guys that they yep. are, are truly targeting in the first two rounds. And yep. and and that's what, that's what they're about, right? And – when I think about the kid out of Pittsburgh, when I did my first mock drafts, I had the Saints taking him, but he doesn't fit their prototype of defensive end either, right? They nope. have a certain body type, wingspan, weight, height that they like to do. So that being said, who do you think is a good candidate for them if they do decide to go defensive end? They like the Cam Jordan body type. Who do you think is out there? Well, I mean, there's several other guys that are really good um, at pass rusher. Uh, Will McDonald is one guy uh, out of Iowa State. Um, you know, he's more of a hybrid type guy. 
Um, I can also see them maybe drafting a guy uh, like Von Ness out of the University of Iowa. Um, you know, there, there's so many guys out there, you know, that, that fit that mold. But to um, to uh, discuss a little bit about what you just said about, uh, you know, them having a certain, uh, you know, prototype, prototypical defensive uh, tackle, if you look at what they're trying to do, uh, the signing of Nathan Shepard, uh, the signing of uh, uh, Saunders uh, from the uh, Kansas City Chiefs, both of those guys are considered a little bit undersized, especially Saunders, but he's extremely athletic. When you look at a guy like Elijah Cansey, yes, he's six foot one, 281 pounds, but he's extremely active. Uh, you know, according to the combine, I mean, he was the most athletic defensive tackle that they had out there. And people are comparing him to Aaron Donald, which I don't see. I, I see more of John Randall, the legendary defensive tackle from uh, the Ooh. Minnesota Vikings when I look at him. But I just think that, Ray, it's time for the Saints to maybe move on from that that prototypical interior. Because, I mean, that's been the issue when it comes to them playing a certain type of quarterback or, you know, having a, a certain type of running back with a certain skill set. It has been really tough for those interior linemen to be able to chase around some of those quarterbacks, and those quarterbacks were able to go right up the middle on them. So maybe getting a little bit more athletic uh, on in, in the interior will probably help them much better uh, going forward. Maybe it's time to change some things around and maybe rip up the original script and maybe start from scratch and start all over again and get some more athletic guys. So Kalaja Kansi, to me, fits that mode. Nolan Smith fits that mode. Uh, Von Ness out of Iowa also uh, fits that mode when you when we're talking about pass rushers. So uh, they, they need to get more athleticism because Cam Jordan, uh, we don't know how many years he has left. So you want to make sure that you find the true successor that can continue to put up that production that Cam Jordan has put up for years. We're talking with T.J. Jones with the State of the Saints podcast. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. You, you mentioned you, we really don't know what direction they're going to go. Could they go tight end? Could they go O-line, D-line? You know, there's two positions, though, that I think they may try to address in this draft, T.J., and that's going to be wide receiver, and I think it's also safety. And it may not be in the first two rounds, but I would be stunned if they don't address both of those through the draft what, do you think that's what Mickey Loomis, Jeff Ireland, and company are going to do? Well, I, I definitely feel like they're going to get themselves a wide receiver. Uh, the signing of Brian Edwards probably, you know, makes this decision uh, not as imperative. Or, you know, I feel like they're probably going to be looking in for in for a wide receiver in the fourth or the fifth round. You know, look, I understand that they signed Michael Thomas back to a one-year deal. I understand that Michael Thomas, we all know what he is when he's on the field. But I just think that the last couple of years has shown you that you have to find somebody that can have that same similar skill set and maybe, you know, like build that person up just in case Michael Thomas decides to test the free agency market or it just doesn't pan out. And uh, Bryce Ford Whedon, a guy out of West Virginia, you can probably get a guy like that in the fourth or the fifth round, has that same type of body, that skill set that you can be able to get those 50-50 balls in, in the later rounds. Uh, you know, that as far as the safety, I think the Saints actually kind of helped themselves out a little bit by signing guys like Jonathan Abrams, like Lonnie Johnson Jr. So I don't look at that as more important. But when it comes to the wide receiver room, Ray, you know how it was last year. Everybody was excited about having Jarvis Landry and having Michael Thomas and having Chris Olave. And all of a sudden, a couple weeks, all you had was Chris Olave. So, you know, they, they have that old saying, those that don't uh, – you know, look at their history is doomed to repeat it. 
So hopefully the Saints learn from their history and change it around in order for them to have a strong wide receiver room just in case one of those stars go down. You know, a guy that I like a lot for the Saints, and they would probably have to draft him in the second round because he has a similar skill set, similar body type, similar RAS mm-hmm. score, is Tillman out of Tennessee. And, yeah. you know, I, I think he would be that kind of perfect guy. And, and here's the other thing. I say this all the time. There's two positions you can't have enough of. You can't have enough wide receivers. You can't have enough defensive backs. You just can't. You, you yep. just can't. Uh, there, there's no yep. such thing because the modern NFL is a passing league. So you got to have enough guys to be able to catch the ball and you got to have enough guys to be able to defend the pass or try to defend the pass that the NFL allows you to play now because, well, that's a discussion for another day. Yeah, you, mentioned, you mentioned tight end earlier. And my producer and I have had this discussion. He's very high on the kid out of Notre Dame, and he think he would be a, a great fit for the Saints. Now, the Saints haven't taken a tight end in the first two rounds since 1998, all right? Right. The, 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 they have a formula that they like to follow in the first two rounds. It's D-line, O-line, wide receiver, and DB. Those are the four positions they value more than anything else. That's what Mickey does. That's what his coaches do. That's what his front office personnel does. But you have some good tight ends in this draft. You brought it up, and I want to circle back to it. Do you think they should draft a tight end? Even though they signed Juwan Johnson, they like what he can bring to the table. Taysom Hill's not really a tight end. They never used him in that role last year, really. Do you, do you think they should draft a tight end with one of their first two picks? I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. And when I, I look at the New Orleans Saints, the one thing that you want to do you want to make sure that your new quarterback is comfortable. And I, I mentioned, Ray, you know, when you look at Derek Carr, him and Darren Waller had a, a, a great relationship. They, they they developed this chemistry where Darren Waller was virtually unstoppable. And I just think that you want to be able to help a guy like Derek Carr out. And drafting a, drafting a tight end in the first two rounds, I mean, I like the idea. I'm not mad at it at all. The guy that you're referring to is, uh, you know, Michael Mayers. Uh, I mean, he's the number one tight end that is on everybody's draft board, followed by Darnell Washington and Dalton Kincaid coming out of the University of Utah. So, I mean, there's there's some really good, talented tight ends, and these these three guys that I just named, they're going to be difference makers for a team. I understand Darnell Washington; he kind of got overshadowed by Brock Bowers. Guys, a beast, probably going to be a top ten when he comes out. But Darnell Washington has that skill set that makes him virtually unstoppable, especially in the red zone. And I just look at his upside and his ability and his skill set. And we know that Derek Carr has had history with a guy with the same similar skill set in Waller. So, yes, I think it would be a good idea. And I would not be mad at it. Just like how you mentioned about the interior, I feel the same way when it comes to the tight end. These three guys that, that are the top three tight ends are difference makers. And whatever team they go to, they're going to make some noise. But if Darnell Washington hears his name called uh, by you know for, for the New Orleans Saints in the first two rounds, I'm going to be extremely excited about it. And they could run that old Patriots two tight end set that they had with Gronk and Aaron Hernandez, right? Because they didn't have like exactly. you know great wide receivers on that team, but they had two stud tight ends, Juwan yeah. Johnson and Darnell Washington. Those are two huge matchup problems for defenses. So. I, I I wouldn't mind seeing that myself. Brother, appreciate your time as always. Enjoy the draft. Try not to stress too much about it, brother, and we'll talk to you soon, my friend. <laughs> I'll try not to. Uh, Ray, it's always a pleasure to speak with you, man. Thank you for having me.
This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is the epitome of a high roller, constantly making large bets. But by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a $3 bet. That netted me a cool $6.70. What? Okay, so he's not a risk taker. He's your best bet for sports talk. 19. Hit me. 20. Hit me. 21. Hit me. 22. Go! Now, back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. I want to touch on what TJ said there about how the Saints with – quarterbacks that can run how they kind of struggle with that the way their defensive personnel is set up if they do decide to kind of change that philosophy it's a huge deal because Mickey is changing his philosophy Jeff Ireland's changing his philosophy and Dennis Allen who's the head coach but also been a longtime defensive coordinator in two stints with the Saints would also have to change his philosophy as well I don't see that happening but he does bring up an interesting point about the Saints as good as their defense has been for the most part in the last decade, you would have to change your philosophy there on how you approach it. And I just don't know if that's a possibility, if they would even be interested in doing that. It's an interesting point, though, about that struggle. Yeah, but you have to, I mean, like, you have to change at some point. Like yes. When the game changes, you have to change with it. So Correct. And now, I don't, again, like, part of the reason they've had so much success against guys like Tom Brady is because of the opposite philosophy, the one they use. So, also, though, I don't know why there can't be a mix of the two. Like, I think you can have some, you can have a mixture of, mixture of your personnel that has some guys like Cam Jordan in it, but also has some ability to change personnel when a different type of quarterback is facing you or a different type of offense. Kind of have a hybrid defense in that in that regard. Yeah, that I think that would be more likely than doing an overhaul uh, switch. So draft will be tomorrow. Can't wait to see what happens there. Want to take a moment to thank our guest, Ron Higgins from Tiger Details, Jay Walker, the longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, and, of course, T.J. Jones from the State of the Saints podcast. Our poll question of the day was our foodie poll question of the week. What is your favorite festival international food item is it all the delicious pull boys they have, the Cajun dishes from local eateries, which are amazing, the desserts, or is it other? A lot of global cuisine involved as well. Winning the vote, Cajun dish, 38%. 27% of you say pull boy, 19% say other, 16% say the desserts. Our guy D'Lo will be experiencing Festival International for the first time, so... He's going to uh, throw away that diet of his, that healthy living of his, and he's going to sample all the goods. I would do so after the 5K. Not on Friday, by the way. Yeah, that'd probably be a good idea. Don't need to be loaded up on the carbs before you have to run on Saturday, bud. Okay? Just just a little words of wisdom. I <laughs> also want to thank our intern, Lauren Hill, for uh, coming in and chopping it up with us. Appreciate her, and best of luck to her and on her career path and with her education. That's going to do it for us today. 
for the producer extraordinaire, Dawson Isolo. I'm Raymond Parsh, the third better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game.